This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's the Balance of Power Roundtable. We're part of the Beyond Politics podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, on the Blue Amp channel on YouTube, I'm Matt Robeson, joined as always by former U.S. Congressman Paul Hodes and our conservative commentator, analyst, and political consultant, Alicia Preston. We are forced once again by the world to start off on a somber note. We are, of course, talking about the war in Israel and the news about the devastating explosion at a hospital in Gaza that killed hundreds there. And this is emerging as a story, not that we want to get into deep geopolitical analysis on this show, because that's not what we really specialize in, but it is something we need to talk about because there are a lot of events converging at the same time here. One of them is the back and forth that's been fast and furious on Twitter, in the media, in the last few hours about who was actually responsible for this explosion, the way the media handled it initially, the subsequent information that's come out. I think that's something that we should talk about. And of course, Alicia, there's an issue that you wanted to raise. You've raised this before. It's a very interesting question. President Biden is there in Israel right now as we record this. We're recording this Wednesday morning, full transparency, people, and this is such a fast-moving topic that we are going to rush to get this show out as fast as we can because events may shift by the time people listen to this. So we want to get it to people while it's still relevant. But Alicia, you wanted to raise this question of, is President Biden being in Israel right now the right thing to do? What's your concern? I, I don't think it is. And, and I brought this up when people were clamoring that President Biden should be in Ukraine. My philosophy is very simple. The only time a president of the United States of America should be in a war zone is if he is visiting our own troops as a motivating factor, as a rally. That's when they should be there. It's dangerous. There are so many headlines this morning. His most dangerous trip since he's been president, the real dangers of President Biden being in Israel. And I'm going, that's not a good thing. If something happens to him, we're in World War III. We are full on in World War III with the Mideast. That is way too dangerous for that risk. Now, look, Anthony Blinken, I, I was very proud to see him there. And by proud, I, I got tears in my eyes when he went into a donation center and this woman is crying to him. She was at the festival that got bombed by Hamas. And these Israelis start chanting USA. And it was really empowering because America still is that city of hope for democracy around the world. And I was very proud of that. And I'm glad he went. But the president of the United States of America has to worry about his own well-being in a matter like this, because the ramifications of something happens to him is just too much. And, and let's not forget, as we in the last couple hours, it was announced that there's a lot more going on in the Mideast. The, they're protesting at the U.S. embassy in Beirut. There's fires lit all around. Our U.S. troops in Iraq were attacked by drones. They were able to shoot them down and no one was injured. But this is all going on while our president is in the middle of it. And I appreciate what he's done and his support for Israel. His speech last week was phenomenal. I just that's one step too far as I'm concerned. Paul, would you have sent the president if you were sitting as an advisor in the White House? Look, presidents have asked for your advice before. See, Obama, is this the right move? This is an unprecedented situation. 
there are two carrier groups sitting off the coast. Israel is under assault from both the, the left and the right, and from uh, Gaza and from the north. There are critical issues around not having World War III a breakout. And the reason I use the word unprecedented is I generally agree with Alicia that the president's safety is important. When he appears, where he appears, how he appears is critical. He, you remember, this is a president who has been in touch with world leaders over decades and decades. There is nobody in uh, the United States government I dare say at this point, who has more familiarity, uh, more interest, and more connections with the, the world leaders in and around the Middle East than our president. So he probably wouldn't have asked for my advice. And what he probably did was tell his advisors, I'm going, set it up, keep me safe. So I think we can count on the security arrangements being made. And in this case, I, it sends a signal that is unmistakable, not only that we stand with Israel, but given his other visits, that the, his interest and his care is more than simply supplying weapons to Israel, but also in doing what he can to make sure that this is as contained as it can be. So it's unprecedented. It's not unprecedented for presidents to visit, obviously. They go. They generally go where our troops are and buck up our troops. This is a whole... The stakes here are so high that this visit, I think, is historic, but also necessary. I don't think that I can come down on... I don't think there's a side. I don't think there's a definitive right or wrong answer on this. I, I'm just, I appreciate the fact that you raised the question, Alicia. This stuff is complicated. I, I don't think it's clear cut. I do not think it's clear cut. There is a history of presidents going to war zones all the way back to James Madison in 1814 in the War of 1812. Abraham Lincoln went to battlefield sites in the Civil War. FDR made a secret trip to North Africa in the middle of World War II. Talk about a a situation where the fate of the world was on the line. And Lyndon Johnson went to Vietnam. George W. went to Iraq. Granted, it wasn't every zone. single one of those examples to visit with U.S. troops. That's my point. They go to visit with U.S. troops. That's important for me. It was not in the FR case. But look, I think I think your point has a lot of merit. It does. And I, I'm also persuaded by Paul's point that we need this. And, and I think it is part and parcel of the avoidance of a mealy-mouthed response from Joe Biden that we've seen over the last week. He was unequivocal. I think that's where you got to be. I, I think as soon as you get into the, of course, there's nuance here. Of course, there's caveats here. Of course, saying that the loss of innocent life in Gaza is tragic and needs to be avoided. And that's a strong national value for the United States. But I think the unequivocal support for Israel is critical for the situation not getting worse. And look, this is what we're seeing right now with the situation with this hospital explosion. The initial reporting from major mainstream news outlets was that this was an Israeli strike. And it has come to light in the last few hours. There is a video recording showing that this was Islamic Jihad, another militant group, firing a missile 
that misfired and, and landed in the hospital area. There is a, an audio recording showing the same thing, a discussion between two members of Islamic Jihad. And the president is saying that there is U.S. intelligence that is supporting this assessment that Israel is saying, this was not us. If part of the reason that we're seeing these fiery, literally fiery protests throughout the Middle East that are turning into the U.S. embassy, apparently, on fire in Beirut is the perception that Israel was behind this. And so a, a very present U.S. role, unequivocally sorting through this very muscular role, I think is important. I think the deterrent effect, Paul, that you were talking about, the two aircraft carriers redeployed to the region as a deterrent for Hezbollah trying to get involved, Iran through their proxies trying to get more involved, I think is really critical. I don't know what that says to me about a U.S. president being there, but I, Paul, I find your argument persuasive. And just briefly on this media narrative regarding the hospital bombing, shame on two U.S. congressmen, congresswoman Talib and Omar, who immediately came out and attacked Israel. And at this point, they're terrorist sympathizers, as far as I'm concerned. They have no business being in Congress, as far as I'm concerned. But they're on the side of the Palestinians. The media narrative is laughable. I'm watching CNN this morning, and they no longer refer to it, at least in this segment, it no longer was the war in Israel. It was now the war in Gaza. That is a massive narrative change, and one that was made before information was received that it wasn't Israel bombing a hospital in Gaza. And then they went to this painstaking effort. They had this U.S. military retired strategist out expert on, and he's showing them on the images how this wouldn't have been a missile. And, and he's going through in great military detail why this wouldn't have been a missile. This was like an errant explosion nearby. And he's explaining it, and the CNN anchor is pushing and pushing because she wants to maintain the narrative that she switched to 24 hours ago. And it was obscene. I was a member of the media. I was in television news. That's not their job. This isn't Hannity at night giving an opinion. This is news content. And it was laughably shameful at how quickly the media narrative turned. And my question is, what do they do now? To your point, do they retract the headlines? Do they change back? Or do they try to save face? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And look, the only thing I can say, I'm like the last Democrat in America who still likes the New York Times. The only thing I will say for the mainstream media, what separates them from the propaganda outfits on the right is that they do correct themselves. They do make an attempt to source things to not just not, propaganda. Not on, this on this one, their headlines did spoil this one from the New York Times. I don't have it in front of me here, but it was basically Israel, boy, such crappy construction of a sentence. Israel strike wounds or kills hundreds in Palestinian hospital, comma, Palestinians say. And they did at least make clear in the headline, even if they put the attribution at the very end, that this was a claim. And I am sure that as new evidence emerges, I see it on the New York Times site right now, they're being mealy-mouthed about it. They're saying the headline on it is... Folks say. Israel has put forward its... Here it is. The Israeli military puts forward its version of what happened at the hospital in Gaza, not hey, we now have new information that confirms. So I think they're going to get there. I think they're going to get there eventually. I think they're going to get there too late, but they will get well, we there, which is still a distinction. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. 
Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So here's the challenge. Right now, the world, and I use that in its most general sense, only gets the skim on the first headline that happens. And yeah. the world now believes that Israel bombed the hospital. As to CNN, they've been moving to both sides for a long time now. And their reprehensible coverage of this is just one example of the both sides that is taking hold throughout the media as this war rages on. It's It was inevitable. It's part and parcel of the baggage that comes with doing what Israel is going to do to try to root out Hamas and the horrible situation in Gaza. And this is a prime example. It's not going to be the only example. And frankly, it doesn't do anything to alleviate the misery and suffering that's going on both sides of this awful war. I think that the situation is evolving so fast that I'm not sure that I have a lot more to say personally as of right now. But I do think that, Alicia, you have raised, this is your job. You are an analyst and a commentator, and you've raised some questions that we sometimes take for granted here. Should the U.S. president be there right now? We all seem to say, yeah, of course, but maybe not. And I, I think some questioning about the very subtle biases and not so subtle biases that we're seeing in the reporting here, it deserves scrutiny, and we will have to keep an eye on it. Let's turn to... Another fraught situation, not nearly at the same scale or, or seriousness, the ongoing internal race to the bottom of Republicans who remain in their third week without a Speaker of the House. It is, it, it's the stupidest internal conflict, maybe in political history. It's so dumb, but it's also so shameful. So look, Here's another situation where we're commenting, we are 30 minutes away from a, a scheduled second vote on Jim Jordan to be Speaker of the House. This is one where, Paul, I don't think that it actually matters that we don't know how this is going to turn out. Because here's my argument. This is something that we did on the Blue Amp channel yesterday. I think the very fact that he got so close is pretty remarkable. I think the mere fact that Jim Jordan came 20 votes away from being the Speaker of the House is stunning, stunning. We are the frog in the boiling water that we're like, wait, are we being cooked here? What the hell just happened here? Were you as dumbfounded as me, man? No, it's the logical progression of what used to be the grand old party. It is now the cult of Trump, and we are 20 votes away from having the chief Trumpist in the House, the guy who led the internal, the insurrection internally, the guy who ought to be indicted and in orange jumpsuits, becoming the third person from the presidency of the United States. This is what the Republican Party is. This is what the Republican Party has become. They are Jim, they're 20 votes short of Jim Jordan. 
So that gives Alicia her, it's not all the Republicans, it's only a few, yeah? It's most of them except for 20 voting for Jim Jordan. What's that, 80%? Okay, so the Republican Party is 80% a Trump acolyte who's, who may make it on the second vote. We may have Jim Jordan as the Speaker of the House when I got elected Nancy Pelosi. You may hate her, you may love her, but at least she had integrity, became the first female speaker of the House and knew how to run the House. The Republicans, this is like kindergarten for politics. This is like playground politics with the Republicans. They're running in every direction after the ball. Nobody knows where it is. And in the end, one kid has been hiding it. This is Looney Tunes for politics. Alicia, I guess my question to you is, Jim Jordan, great member of the House or the greatest member of the House? For Democrats, he's the greatest member of the House. You guys, <laughs> I'm going to- It's true. D2C, the troll at the DD is off the chart. I'm going to tell you the TV ads and the mail you're going to see in the Target districts. You ready? And if you don't, you should. You take Jim Jordan, a little picture of him, when he's angry. You know that angry face he makes when he's on the committee? He has yeah, resting is, angry face. Yeah, He has resting angry face. You take that picture and you quote any number of the horrible things he said, done, and you put it next to a picture of the Republican running in said swing district. And you say said Republican candidate voted for this guy. That's oh, it. Has, That's oh, all you, you, know, you have know. to do. How about that? We actually know the folks at House Majority Pack, which is like the, anyway, whatever. It's like the folks who, who have to run these campaigns and fund these campaigns, they must have had, look, the world is very serious right now, but for their job, for what they need to accomplish, they had a pretty good day yesterday. I'm just <laughs> like, Alicia's last sentence, I, I think it's not safe for work. I think it's mildly pornographic for these people. That's what I think. I'm going to get serious well, about this. Can I say for... something about the oh, serious yeah, yeah. side? Before I get serious. You, yeah. You... So about these t only 20, that's not true. What I believe I predict you're going to see today is that 20 number is going to grow. What We all know how it works in Congress. If a bill's going to fail, you can vote for it so you can tell your constituents that support it. I tried. And the same in reverse. If a bill's going to pass, you can vote against it and tell your constituents, say, I tried. I, did, I didn't work. So there's a lot more than 20. We all know that's how it actually works. Well, can I just jump in on that for one second? One mm -hmm. second, not to throw you off your flow, but the reason that they need to do that is that Sean Hannity got involved. Sean Hannity had his producer calling around <laughs> Arkable. Okay. I, this is almost unprecedented. A, a television news program, news, what a bunch of bull. A television program producer was calling the chiefs of staff, my brethren on the Republican side, and sending them emails, which leaked into the public saying, why are you not supporting Jim Jordan? Why are you that? Will you please tell our viewers on the record why you are such a traitor? It's amazing that like Jim Jordan unleashed his henchmen. Sean Hannity and Sean Hannity's henchmen. The henchmen have henchmen. It's like the cat in the hat, right? There's a little cat inside the cat in the hat's hat. Do they have to and register as lobbyists to do that, don't you think? Oh my gosh. This is so incredibly remarkable. I just wait, I, wait a second. What's remarkable about it? Getting strong arm does not remarkable. Okay. Yeah. I've gotten strong as as a congressional staffer, I've gotten strong arm calls before. As a congressman, 
you've gotten strong-armed before, although probably not that much. Let's face it, we're Democrats. Did you ever get strong-armed? Did you ever get strong-armed? Oh, yeah. Nancy Pelosi didn't strong-arm to make yeah, sure her yeah. caucus got into shape? She, she brandished those fists of fury at you? Nancy Pelosi strong-armed me. I got strong-armed by the Massachusetts delegation when I landed in Congress for the for my first day. We talked about it on the show, trying to oh, figure yeah. out who I was going to vote for. So there, there's been some, there was some of that, but it happened early on. And after that, there really wasn't that kind of strong-arming. And I can't think of any instance in which anybody from the media tried to strong-arm me. But that, right, that's the thing that's remarkable. But right. I, Alicia, I, I just take a, you're right. You're so right that there obviously is a longstanding tradition in Congress that you say, yeah, I tried. I just don't think that's a great excuse in this case where you're essentially knuckling under to this MAGA pressure because you don't want to get called out on Fox News. Right. Because and that's getting you to the point where you say, yes, I will vote for the father of the insurrection in Congress. That's my only. I think it is what I said, but I think it's a poor political strategy. Look, too many of these guys in Congress live in a bubble and they, they don't look at the long strategy. The short term strategy is to do what I said, be able to tell your constituency that you tried. The long term strategy is the other thing I said and that you said and we all said is that the DCCC is drooling right now because you just handed them the ammunition they need to win swing states. Because guess what? Suburban white mom in these and that is the target. That is the target. They're the deciders and by the numbers. They don't like this. They don't like the insurrection. They don't like the denialism. They don't like Trump and they don't like his sycophants. And Trump's language is just getting more and more angry and nonsensical. And you're turning off the very people that are needed to vote uh, to win Congress and Senate in these swing districts and the presidency. By the way, can I just, Alicia, you're going to like this. I'm going to go back to our previous topic for just like 30 seconds to point out this just came out on Twitter. An astute observer on Twitter, which is not a sentence that I generally say, screenshotted the New York Times cover. And when they headlined, as I, oh, I remembered it correctly, Israeli strike kills hundreds in hospital, comma, Palestinians say, they put a picture, a bombed out building picture underneath it of a completely different place of a completely different building. Talk about misleading. Talk about the definition of fake news. Maybe get, if people want to see this, if you want to see this, go to Twitter and just uh, look me up. I'm at Matt L. Robeson. I just reposted it. I think we're supposed to call it these days. I retweeted it. This is really bad. Sorry, Paul. Maybe people ought to just give up on X, formerly known as Twitter. Prince, formerly known as whatever. Maybe maybe people ought to just give up and, and stop following this ream of misinformation that passes for communication. Well, it's, it's the New what? York Times fault, not Twitter. It's the New York Times fault. Oh, okay. yeah. Anyway, look, back on to Jim Jordan. I, let me just quote something here first. I, I agree with actually everything you just said, Alicia. I just want to quote to you from a very interesting source. This is the January 6th committee report, and this is about Jim Jordan. Representative Jordan was a significant player in President Trump's efforts. He participated in numerous post-election meetings in which senior White House officials, Rudolph Giuliani, and others discussed strategies for challenging the election. Chief among them claims that the election had been tainted by fraud. On January 2nd, 2021, Representative Jordan led a conference call in which he, President Trump, and other members of Congress discussed strategies for delaying the January 6th joint session during that call. The group also discussed issuing social media posts encouraging 
President Trump supporters to march on the Capitol on January 6th. An hour and a half later, President Trump and Representative Jordan spoke by phone for 18 minutes. The day before January 6th, Representative Jordan texted Mark Meadows, passing along advice that Vice President Pence should, quote, call out all the electoral votes that he believes are unconstitutional as no electoral votes at all. He spoke with the President Trump by phone at least twice on January 6th though he's provided inconsistent public statements about how many times they spoke and what they discussed. He also received five calls from Rudolph Giuliani that evening and two connected at least twice. During that time, Giuliani has testified he was attempting to reach members of Congress after the joint session resumed to encourage them to continue objecting to Joe Biden's electoral votes. Just to editorialize here, that means after the insurrection, Rudy Giuliani was calling Jim Jordan to say, yeah, we, we still need to do this. We still need to complete the coup. Folks, Jim Jordan was the father of the insurrection in Congress. Of everyone in Congress, he was the most directly involved in leading and setting up the insurrection. This is who all but 20 Republicans voted for Speaker of the House yesterday. And by the way, this deserves to be said. There are multiple witnesses who have credibly claimed that Jim Jordan knew all about the sexual abuse going on at the Ohio State University when he was there as a wrestling coach, that he turned a blind eye to it. And there is testimony from one witness who says that Jim Jordan called him, begged him to disavow the testimony of his own brother to basically protect Jordan because the brother had testified directly that Jim Jordan knew all about the sexual abuse. So it's pretty remarkable that this is the guy, that this is the guy for most Republicans. All that being said, I don't know, in about 20 minutes, they're gonna go vote and it's quite possible that the tide will start to turn, but just to get to that point, just to say like, I'm gonna throw a vote to Jordan here just to get the Hannity people off my back, pretty remarkable. Profiles and courage. Let's take a break, we'll be right back. I think you're going to see the number 20 grow. And then I think you're going to see a movement to do one of two things. This is what people are chatting about. <clears throat> the uh, speaker pro tempore and temporary speaker right now will either get a 30 day, 40 day control of the house so that they can start doing things. Or that started turning this morning to perhaps he will be elected speaker eventually. And I think that's going to be the move. Hakeem Jeffries was asked about that. And he said, paraphrasing here, but that's on the table because even the Democrats might be willing to have McHenry, who is not as toxic as a Jim Jordan, for instance, at the helm so they can actually do something, which my belief is they've got to just at least do something. November 17th, the government shuts down again. And so I'm optimistic that either today, tomorrow, what we'll see is at least a temporary, if not permanent, or long-term speaker. Bring back That's Trump. True. Trump should be speaker. Trump, he would make the great speaker because they don't have to choose a member of Congress. They could go outside. They could choose Sean Hannity. Now, he would make a great speaker. He's very good at speaking. He's got a wonderful television presence. He's always on with the facts. And what a man of integrity and perspective. Sean Hannity for speaker is my idea of the Republican go-to. I he think is I, the I have idea, idea of many Republicans. That's right. They love him. 
He's loved across the Republican universe. It's a match made in heaven, baby. It's, a, it's perfect. It's perfect. Coming into did you, did you serve with Patrick McHenry, Paul? I think you overlapped very slightly. He was he was newish when yeah. you were there. He was at the time, as I recall, he was pretty strident, but he has a reputation behind the scenes of being someone you can work with. And apparently he maintains close and productive working relationships with administration officials, including in the treasury department. Did you have much of a sense of, of him, much of an interaction? I, I, I really didn't. It was true, at least when I was there, of a lot of Republicans. They were crazy in public and, and perfectly okay in private. It was simply part of the show of Hollywood East that they'd go fl throw flames, put on their flamethrower backpacks, and then in, in private they'd be okay. Maybe that's what's required nowadays. I look, I like the Patrick McHenry solution. The only the only thing about it is it's not easy. And it's not the Wall Street Journal is their op-ed, their editorial this morning was that this is the way to go, empower him. What they're talking about though is a, a short-term authorization. This is gonna turn into once again. Congress kicking a can down the road. And by Congress, I really mean the Republicans, let's be clear, but they would give him a 15-day authorization limited to certain things, getting government funding on track, a, a foreign aid, uh, military aid package that would include Israel, Ukraine, Taiwan, those kinds of emergency items. And Democrats aren't going to just solve Republicans' problems for them here, they're going to have certain requirements. The one that's been floated as of now is, this is way down in the weeds, way down in the weeds. One of the powers of having the majority is you get to decide <clears throat> what goes on the floor. And there are there's a certain procedure where you can take up non-controversial items. It's called suspension of the rules. And the deal with those is if you're going to vote on something that's relatively non-controversial, it has to have a two-thirds majority to pass. What Democrats have apparently asked for is we will give you the votes to allow Patrick McHenry to temporarily assume the full speakership powers, but we want control of half of those suspension of the rules votes. That would mean that Democrats would have some limited ability to put things on the floor and that would give them a measure of control there. That seems to be the deal. And Republicans are balking at that because their sense seems to be politically, if we allow the perception of anyone receiving any support from any Democrat, we're done politically because you can't do that in today's politics. Oh no, you worked with the Democrats. What a disaster. So I don't know if it'll fly. Which, A, is so not true, and I addressed this in a column I write not long ago with the whole ousting of McCarthy because he worked with Democrats, therefore the Gates morons decided to work with Democrats to oust McCarthy. It's middle America doesn't agree with them. We don't agree with the partisans on the Democrat side or the Republican side that you shouldn't work with the other to get things done. The vast majority of Americans are not uber partisans and do not believe I'd rather have government. You see it all over Twitter, I know, but most of us don't think I'd rather have government stalled ineffective and not working for the people than them work with the other party. It's just not where Americans are. And it goes back to my point of these people in Congress and the Democrat and the Republican side are simply living in a partisan bubble that doesn't exist in middle America. I think they got to go have coffee at a diner more often. All right.
there's obviously a lot more to come on this. Who knows? By the time people listen to this, we could have Speaker Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan. He is truly speaker. the avatar. Unless, I got it, unless some Democrat do their own number count and decide to vote for Jim Jordan just so Jim Jordan is speaker and they've got even more fodder. Oh my gosh. For Only the, you uh, would during... imagine that twisted scenario. I give you great credit. There, during Watergate. <laughs> It came to light that there were there was a group of political operatives who engaged in low-level skullduggery, right? They'd order lots of pizzas to their opponent's headquarters, and they tie up the phones, and they do all kinds of low-level stuff to mess with them. It was called rat-fucking. There was a guy named Donald Segretti who went to jail for doing these kinds of things, and he thought the whole Watergate operation was just more rat-fucking. Where the heck did that term come from? That's horrifying. Anyway... Would this be, would this move be the ultimate form of rat fucking? It's, hey, let's just do it. Get the 20 safest seat Democrats. You're not going to be voted out of office no matter what you do. Just tell your constituents, I'm doing this. Let the Republicans, they've made this bed, let them lie. Oh my gosh, that's devious. We like that. We like that a lot. Are you Deanna evil? always super? Oh, no. I think you're always, evil. You know, no. What a horrible idea. Alicia, I, I'm concerned about you. I, I really am. <laughs> hey, we got to wrap up pretty soon. But speaking of not talking too much longer, the judge in which of Donald Trump's many trials was this? Oh, it's the civil litigation on the Trump organization has issued a partial gag order. And that's led to a lot of analysis. Wait. Does this work? How does this work? How can the judge enforce such a thing? Paul, you're a former prosecutor. What is this? What do you make of this? You're trying to preserve the integrity of the judicial process. And that means that the defendant should not go out attacking witnesses and court personnel and staff and things like that. So this is a very limited gag order because he went after various court personnel and all that. So the judge said, look, you can blame Biden for whatever you want. You can call this a political prosecution. You can do all that, but you cannot go after court staff and personnel, and you can't go after the witnesses. Neither you nor your lawyers can do that. And if you do, I am going to bring the gavel down upon your head. Sanctions. Can the financial. judge really do that in this case, though? Yes, yes. Even though Trump is a candidate for president, you can limit, you can, he still gets his constitutionally protected right to run, to speak, but he's a defendant in a case. And so the judge has jurisdiction to limit what he says. It's a very limited, very narrow gag order. The sanctions could be financial or ultimately, if the judge is uh, angry enough at a violation, I suppose you could put somebody in jail. Just for clarity, because I know there's a lot going on in this, there's a second gag order. The one that came out yesterday is in the D.C. case, the criminal right. case. Yeah, it's in the it criminal the... It's in the criminal January 6th case. And, and that... But Matt mentioned the New York civil case, so he's got two gag orders on him now. I was I'm sorry, I about... got confused. There's so it's many hard cases to keep up. I... up with his gag I, orders. I, I, I was actually thinking about the effect of the January 6th case. That's arguably a little more serious because it is the the big criminal case. Yes. Okay. That is that is a helpful clarification. This is so complicated, the things that Trump can say and cannot say. And there was another article in Politico this morning laying out, you know how we've all been anticipating that it was going to be very hard for Donald Trump to handle the calendar of all of these cases. 
now he's got to not, first of all, that's here because all of these hearings are starting to happen. And second of all, he's got to navigate what he can say and what he cannot say. And I'm just very interested in seeing when he inevitably breaks one of these rules, the judges involved are going to have to back them up or he's making a mockery of their ability to preside over the case in the court. And what's that going to look like? What? What a mess. Maybe we Great will times. see him in maybe we'll see him in handcuffs. That was the kind I'll of try. good news statement that I needed right now. I was about to say, does anyone have any good news? Britney yeah, Spears is coming out with a memoir in a few days. That's does it involve Donald Trump? I have no idea. It's not out yet. I started watching the Beckham documentary. It's good so far. That's good news. That's good news. Anything with Beckham in it's good news. Yeah. Let's leave it there, folks.